Father, we just come to you, Lord, this eighth day. 28th of March. Three more days and this month too will be over. Every minute, every day is a gift. We just want to thank you, Lord. As we have heard in the morning, it's not that we are better than the others. That we are alive and not sick and not in the hospital, not quarantined. It's only because of your mercy and your mercy, your mercy alone, oh God. So we just want to thank you. We just want to praise you, Father, once again. And now as we look into your word, I pray once again your word will look into us. As we study your word, we pray the Holy Spirit will speak to each one of us, Lord. Each one of us. Teach us, speak to us, show us, and empower us that we may change and we may be confirmed constantly and daily to the image of the Son who redeemed us. So speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, today is the second session of teaching. Okay, not preaching, but teaching. And the world huddles with the pandemic. Casualty numbers going up. Infected people numbers shooting through the roof. And uh, a lot of people know that this is an act of judgment to wake us up. But the greatest act of judgment God ever did was not Noah's flood, was not the ten plagues in Egypt, or the seven plagues that will come prophesied in the book of Revelation, or even this. The greatest act of judgment of God was on the cross. When his entire wrath was poured upon his son, who became sin for us, that also was his greatest act of mercy towards us. So all we can do at times of judgment is lift up Jesus Christ. Because even when there is judgment, there is mercy. And we have to lift Christ because anyone who looks upon him will be healed, will be saved. So here we are. The title of the message I want to give you is Rest, Don't Stress. We've been seeing how the Old Testament is a shadow and the substance is Christ. Moses is a shadow. Christ is the substance. Law is a shadow. Truth is the substance. Israel is a shadow and the church is the substance. And we we are only doing what we always did. Only thing this coronavirus gave us an opportunity to do it more. If you actually prepare for one day in heaven, the first day, for that one day in heaven called the day of judgment, then you are prepared for all the days on earth. We don't have to prepare for all the days on earth. We just have to prepare for that one day in heaven. Then nothing will catch us unawares. So we will go back from where I stopped last night. 
God's solution, because all that is happening from the beginning is when man fell into sin and sin entered this world. And God's solution to sin always has been the same. It is his son. So we'll go to the most popular, well-known text in the Bible, New Covenant, John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world. We'll never understand the depth of that one word. So, so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Whoever, doesn't matter what background you come from, whether you're priest or prostitute, it doesn't matter. And your background doesn't matter either. Whoever believes in him will be saved. So you don't have to be perished. You don't have to perish. You can be saved. You don't have to be condemned. You can be confirmed in the Son. So I would request again, if you are tuning in today for the first time, please listen to last night's message titled, Blessed Assurance, because for new believers, a lot of new believers and young leaders, we are putting on the fundamentals of salvation. We'll challenge you in the morning and teach you in the evening for some time. And we saw yesterday the fundamentals is repent, believe, and be baptized. Okay, Repent and believe kind of goes simultaneously. You repent from the dead works or works that lead to death. There are two kinds of works that lead to death. If you put, it's one is the works of the flesh and the works of the law. If you put your trust on the works of the law to take you on to the other side. One is talking to the out and out sinner. And the other is talking to the one who is trying to be righteous. To the sinner, this is what God says, who knowingly no, sins. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. For to be carnal minded is death. If you are walking in the flesh, it is death. Okay, Not that it will lead to death, you are already dead. God has to make you alive in Christ Jesus. To be carnally minded is death. And Romans 8, 8 will see the one who is carnally minded, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay? Cannot please God. And don't take it lightly. Because you can be in the church and be in the flesh. We are not talking to the world. We are talking to the church. You can be also in the church and be in the flesh and you cannot please God. And it is important that we please God. We look at the lessons from the shadow, Israel, from the New Testament. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 1 to 5, they went through as a type of shadow what we go through in reality. Moreover, brethren, this is addressed to the church, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Talking about their baptism in water and in the spirit. Then, they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Meaning they had manna symbolizing the word of God. And the Holy Spirit symbolizing the water. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. 
Okay, he was not pleased. Because those who are in the flesh do not <coughs> please God. And what was the result? For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And God says, wants us in verse 6, these things became our examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. They lived in the flesh and they died in the desert. Did they leave Egypt? Yes. Did they fulfill their destiny? That is to possess the promised land? No. Truth. What is our destiny? Those who are saved. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21. This is our destiny too. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on the throne. This is our destiny. Their destiny was to possess the promised land. Our destiny is to sit with Christ on the throne, rather reign with him in eternity. But because they did not please God, because they walked in the flesh, and they wandered and died in the desert, there are a lot of Christians who are wandering in this world. And quietly, without realizing, spiritually they are perishing. Though they had once believed and come out. Because they are still walking in the flesh, they are perishing while they are living. And they are wandering. Their spiritual life is, if you look at they are always wandering. They wander from church to church to church to church. And they are never established. They are never established. In English you say a rolling stone does not gather any moss. Okay, they're never established, ever, because they're wandering. It's not that they have left church, attending church, but they've fallen away from faith and they're not established. So we have to repent from the works of the flesh, works of the flesh. Second, we have to repent from the works of the law. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but faith in Jesus Christ. Meaning, in the old covenant, they all did these rituals. There could be two people doing the same thing, like taking the Passover lamb. One could be a ritual. The other could be doing it by faith. And faith in the Son of God. If you only did it as a ritual and put your trust in what you are doing, you were doomed. But if your trust was in God, then you would come through. Okay, This is the difference. There was a shadow of what they were doing, but if you are putting your trust in what you were doing and not in God, then you were doomed. So there are a lot of people who are righteous or putting their trust in their good works. And they are doomed. In chapter 3 and verse 10, it will just to use two verses of Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Okay? Curses everyone who does not come. We saw this yesterday. So we need to repent from the works of the flesh. We need to re- repent from the works of the law. Only when we repent, then we know what to believe. We repent from this and believe. John chapter 3 and verse 16. We saw already. Believe in what? Right? Believe in what? Believe in Jesus Christ. 
believe in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6 and verse 28 and 29, this is the crowds that followed Jesus. And some of them were excited. They wanted to do the works of God. So they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he sent. He said, this is where it all begins. Before you can do one thing, the first work you have to do, that believing itself is a work. It's hard work. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 16, when the jailer was shocked, the Paul and Silas and all were over there, 16, verse 30 and 31, nobody had left the prison. He comes and falls on his knees before them. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He knew this was something supernatural of God. So he said, what should I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So everywhere there is this term that is used, repent, believe. And Romans chapter 10 verses 9 to 11 talks about it even more clearly. Again, it brings this thing about believing. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you confess him with your mouth. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So first we will look tonight at what does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? (laughs) Okay, I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, but what does it really mean to believe? We saw last night in First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 56, the three things, law, sin, and death. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So where there is no law, there is no sin. So this principle, okay, we are now going to look at what we have to believe. This principle of law, sin, and death is established, this principle is established in Genesis chapter 2. In verse 16 and 17, when God speaks to man after Adam is put in the garden, this is what God says, Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17. The Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Then, what he could do, then one thing he couldn't do. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God told him what he could do and what he couldn't do. There was one thing he said you should not do. There's this tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you shall die. Now the question is, that's when the first law comes in. There's only one law. One law. The pure, pristine universe, there is one law. The question is, why did man die? The answer is right. Everybody says because he ate of that tree. But answer is not fully true. The answer is, he died because God said, if you eat of it, you will die. That's why he died. If God had told him, all the trees in the garden, you can lean on them. But if you lean on this tree, you will die. Then if you leaned on that tree, he would die. It's God's word that is the law. If God had said, you can climb on all the trees in this garden, But if you climb on this tree, you will die. Then if you climbed on that tree, he will die. You need to understand what is law. What is law is what God says. 
This is his universe. He exists. And his word is the law. That is what we need to understand. If we separate the law from God, then we make the law God. If we separate love from God, then we worship love. God is love. Love is not God. Okay? That is what the enemy will do. He will change the laws and make the law God. If you change the law, God does not change. Like in US, the Supreme Court has ratified homosexuality is legal. Does that make it right? No. God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. The law has, the law does not change God. God changes the law. Okay, please understand this. Why did man die? Man die? Because if you get this principle, whichever law of God man broke, you died. That is why James chapter 2, 10 says, even if you kept the whole law and you broke one, you died. <laughs> why? Because you disobeyed, God said so, you disobeyed God. And you, he said, he's, see, sin means uh, missing the mark. God has set a standard in his universe, in his heaven. That is, you need to be absolutely right like him. So even if you drop by one point, you are short of his mark. That's the law of God. God is holy, absolutely holy. God is righteous, absolutely righteous. God is absolute in everything that he does and everything that he is. So sin is the violation of that. So why did Adam and Eve die? Because they did not believe what God said. The action is secondary. Action comes later. The devil causes unbelief. They act on that unbelief and they die. What comes first is unbelief. Okay, you need to understand. If anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is our unbelief, that causes us to go to hell. Therefore, the greatest sin of mankind is unbelief. The greatest sin is unbelief. Okay, You need to understand, God has said something and you don't really believe it. The action is a result of it. Somebody may not believe and may not even act on that, but he has already not believed. Israel, why was Israel cut off? Romans chapter 11 and verse 20 or 22. 11, yeah, 20. 11, 20. Well said. Why was Israel cut off? Because of unbelief. Unbelief that cut them off. And that's the warning in Hebrews 3 and verse 12. Okay, Hebrews 3. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. See, this is the difference between Saul and David. David sinned, but there was never any unbelief. He had fear, but he never ever believed God wouldn't do what he wouldn't do. 
and God was, he always had faith in God. Saul was a different character altogether. His sins actually were less in terms of his actions than David. But his greatest sin was the sin of unbelief. When God told him to do something and he didn't do it, he thought it was okay. He thought it was okay. This is the problem. Okay, we need to realize, we need to tackle at the core of our problem. Our core problem is is unbelief. Unbelief is our greatest sin. Why do people go to hell? Not because of sin. It's because of unbelief. It doesn't matter what sin you have done in the world. You may be a mass murderer incarcerated in a prison for all your life. How many of our old testimonies where people were sentenced to life in prison? But when they heard the gospel and they realized God has paid the price for their, their sin on the cross, when they believed they were set free. So it is not sin that takes you to hell. The government may not release you. That's a different thing. That's a law of the land. But that is the first death. It doesn't matter if you die in prison. Okay, die. Doesn't matter. That's what happened in Nirbhaya convicts. How many months? They appealed, 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 appealed over and over. Every court possible. Supreme Court. Back to the president. Supreme Court. Back. They appealed and they didn't get mercy anywhere. My heart used to go to those four guys. If only. Somebody would just speak to them about Jesus Christ. There is a court for the worst criminal where there is mercy. There is mercy. Okay. That's why two, three, three people crucified. One here, one here in the middle. This one died for sin. This one died because of sin. And this one died forgiven of his sin. Both had the chance. Both had the chance. Jesus did not die because of sin. He died for sin. And this man looked at him and he said, Lord, he believed. This man also saw it, but he didn't believe. The Pharisees, all of them were looking at him and screaming and shouting. But the Roman centurion said, truly this is the son of God. He said, son of God. Because Romans had many gods and they were sons of God. So within his Gentile understanding of God who was, he said, you know what? It doesn't matter he's stripped, naked, bleeding, hanging on the cross. You know what? There's something different about him. This truly is the son of God. Because men cannot die like this. Men don't like die like this. There's something godly about him. So the greatest sin is the sin of unbelief. So God's answer to sin, every sin, is his son. And whoever believes in him. What is the work of God for man? First work of God for man is to believe in his son. So how should I be saved? Believe in Jesus. If you believe in your heart and confess in your heart. So confess with your mouth. Now question. What is that we have to believe about Jesus? We have believe in Jesus, yes. But what is that we have to believe about Jesus? What makes Jesus different from all the others who came and started different religions? What makes him different? Why is that you cannot believe on that one and be saved? And that's how come that you can only believe on this one alone and be saved? And you have to believe in his name. No other name. So let us look at Jesus. How come we get saved when we believe on him? What is that we have to believe? 
Now, if you look at Revelation 13, verse 8, meaning the question is, did people in the Old Testament get saved? Yeah. They didn't go to hell. There are many who, plenty who made to hell. How did they get saved? Revelation 13, 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So God has no past, present or future. He lives outside time. He exists eternally. So he has seen already the end from the beginning. And we are one set of people who have seen the end from the beginning because the book shows so. Okay. So for God, when did his son die? Not 2000 years ago. Before the world was started. Okay, so he is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. So the entire salvation work was not an afterthought. It was not an afterthought. God already knew everything was going to happen and this was the divine plan of God. So when Abel offered a sacrifice by faith, his faith was in the Christ for him who would come one day. But for God, it already happened. God doesn't have time. Okay? So we have to look at how people get saved. What is that about Jesus we have to believe? In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, beautifully the picture, we'll try to go step by step by step. And all my young believers and young leaders, you know, take your notes. <clears throat> even, our, even our little children are sitting before their computers with their notebook and pen. Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come. God has his own time and we, we don't understand his time. When we th- think it is all lost is when God steps in. <laughs> in the darkest hour of human history, God stepped in. But that was his fullness of time. Okay? Please understand this. That is the fullness of time. What a scripture says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. First thing, who sent? God sent. Whom did he send? His son. Third, born of a woman. God sent his son, born of a woman. How? Born under the law. Okay, so please remember Mary. God sent his son, born of a woman, Mary. And that was the first prophecy in the Bible, the seed of the woman. Okay? The virgin shall bear birth. And then when Gabriel talks to Mary, she said, how shall it be so? I have not known man. He says, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall conceive. So it's everything is falling under place. In the fullness of time, God sent his son born of woman and they are where? Under the law. For what purpose? To redeem those who were under the law. Why did he come? Everybody who have been held captive by the law. The wages of sin is death. And that is the law. And for everybody there for what? To redeem all of us who are under the law. And if after we are redeemed, what should be? That we might be the sons and daughters of God. If you look in two verses, the entire salvation plan of God is there from the beginning till the end. Okay? In the fullness of time. God sent his son, born of woman, under the law, to redeem all of us who are under the law, and that we might become his sons. Okay, awesome. Everything is factored in by God. Jesus came, and he was the son of God. 
okay and that is our muslim brothers find it very difficult uh, to understand how can god have a son okay it's it's uh, not because they're thinking physically they're thinking physically because for you in the physical realm to have a son you need to have a man and a woman okay but in the spiritual realm it is not talking about that okay god exists has three persons and the very qualities of god the nature of god itself demands that he exists as more than one person god is love and if only god is there in the universe whom does he love okay god is holy god everything everything is connected with more than one so god is one yet he exists has three parts so that's why no here is real your god is one so the father the son and the holy spirit this is not a physical thing this is a spiritual thing okay it's a spiritual thing and uh, why is this so important jesus came as the son of god born of woman why is it so clearly written born of woman come to romans chapter 5 and verse 12 and 5:14 and later and 5:17 to 19 that same chapter romans 5:14 Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the whole world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. How did death enter? Through one man. Five fourteen. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Death kept on reigning. Okay. If you come to verse seventeen, for if by one man's offense death reigned through that one, okay, we'll read the second part how life comes through Jesus Christ. So the Bible is very clear: one man sinned, and sin entered mankind. Okay, entered. It's spiritual DNA. Okay, sin entered Adam. In Adam, everybody died. Okay. The question is, but isn't it Eve who sinned first? but that's not how it is seen man is the head of the woman okay man is the head of the woman so even though the woman is the one who sinned first it is man is counted who has to have fallen and he followed her into sin the woman was deceived man sinned with his eyes open so when adam fell man fell through adam your bloodline is never counted through your mother it's only counted through your father it's not counted through in the last phase the enemy will of course try to bring the woman and the mother up that's what's happening feminism is a result of it because it directly opposite opposed to the fatherhood of god so women have to be very very careful that even when you fall your failing is counted on your husband that's why god doesn't come and ask eve what did you where are you or what did you do ask adam where are you and what did you do and who told you then only eve is questioned so women have to be very very careful these principles because if sin is counted through woman too then jesus cannot be born of woman cannot be born of woman because it doesn't matter is born in sin and shaped in iniquity so he cannot save us he is born like adam through woman sinless because the iniquity of adam does not come to him because he is born of woman 
You need to understand this. And if you under, ladies, my sisters are watching everywhere. If you understand this principle, you will be very, very careful how you deal with your husbands. Very, very careful. Absolutely careful because how God looks at order and how you, the world teaches you order is absolutely opposite. Adam fell, Eve fell, Adam fell, but iniquity is tracked through the father and not through the mother. So Jesus had to come, son of God, born through Mary. So he gets a body like Adam and Eve without Adam's fallen nature. The son of God born through the woman. Otherwise he can't save us. Please understand that. Okay, he cannot save. That's what uh, in Psalm 51 and verse 5, when David says, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity, Jesus was not. Though he's born of Mary. Though he gets his human body, this flesh, human body through Mary, he's not born in sin or shaped in iniquity because iniquity is passed through the Father. That is why a woman on her own can never produce a child. Even if you are two lesbian partners, you need the seed from the man. Lesbians have children, but the seed is from man. So you can do whatever you want to do, but if you want to have a baby, you need the seed of man. And through the seed of man, even if you have two lesbian partners, which itself is against God, and they have a baby, you don't, you don't skirt this rule. The child is still born in iniquity and shaped by sin. Why? Because the seed is the seed of man, of Adamic stock. So Jesus was not that. He was born of God through woman. That's what the prophecies were and that is what Gabriel told Mary. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall conceive. So he was born of God through woman. So if I am born in sin, sin, when I'm born in sin, born in iniquity, then when I'm born again by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God, I am born again in righteousness. That is salvation. Understand that. When I was born, all of us born, we were born in sin. Boy and girl. The iniquity of Adam is passed on. The boy and the girl. It's not that the iniquity of Adam passes the girl. No. The iniquity of the father goes to the son and the daughter irrespective. Okay, so I was born in sin, but when I was born of the spirit in my spirit, I was born without sin and without iniquity. I am born of God in righteousness. Okay, that is what genuine salvation is. So if I am born in sin, I will grow in sin. Okay, if I am born in sin, I will grow in sin. I am growing, sin is also growing. So as man grows, mankind grows, sin kept on growing unchecked. So by the time you come to Genesis chapter 6, 10 generation, it has reached its pinnacle. Because man has fallen, fallen into sin, and every man that is being born after that is being born in sin, and sin is growing unchecked. Unchecked. Okay? Because there is no restraining influence. Sin is growing unchecked. By the time you come to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, this is what the word says. 5 and 6. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Every thought, every intention was 
only evil. This is sin has full grown, every thought. And if you look at verse 11, the action part of it, the result part of it, the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. These are the actions. Intention, thoughts is all evil and the outward actions are corrupt and violent, full, grown. It has happened. So what did God do? He just wiped that civilization off. Wiped that civilization. Because he reached full grown. He wiped that civilization off. Only eight of them came through. But do you think the eight of them came through were not born in sin and iniquity? No. No. It was God's mercy. Mercy. Okay. They are not born of the spirit. They are born in sin, shaped in iniquity only by faith. They were saved and they came out. But the nature deep inside hasn't saved. So a little later you will see Noah drunk, lying naked, and the sun as scoffer. And back to track. You are gone. You are going down. Okay. So God's solution. What is God's solution? A new generation, new creation, typically kind of has a type after Noah is starting. So sin will increase again. So because sin is increasing and God's solution, we don't know, it's coming much later, it's a mystery. He has to restrain sin. So Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19 will tell you that. 5, 19. Oh, oh, not 5, 19. 3, 19, 3, 19. Must be 3, Yeah, 3, 19, not 5, 19. What purpose... Then does the law serve? It was added because of transgression till the seed should come. Why was the law given? To restrain sin. So you will, you will not see till Genesis 6 and the judgment is over. You won't see any law being mentioned there. There's no law mentioned. When is the first law mentioned in chapter 9 of Genesis after Noah and the company comes out? You see laws being given and the first law that has been given is against murder. Capital punishment is instituted. Why? Because before earlier generations, full of violence. It's not talking about the kind of stuff that was hoping. But if God had to wipe a generation off, you need to realize it is unbelievably wicked. So now they have come out, shaped in iniquity, sin nature is still there, nothing has changed. So what does God do? God introduces the law. What is the purpose of the law? To restrain sin. It doesn't deal with sin. It restrains sin. Okay? Imagine Prime Minister Modi came and made a nice speech and said, no, all of you, my metro, I request you, please, all of you stay in the house, okay? We are going through a crisis, everybody for at least three days, seven days, 21 days, and he left it. Do you think people will go in? Why is, why is the army on the streets today? First it was the cops, they beat the daylight out of a lot of people, it went down on social media, still people are not. Okay, that was on the roads. Then they went to the lanes and beat them into their houses. And then they sent the army in. Okay, what is the reason? Because you have to realize that's an action, a violation of endangering the lives of the other people. Okay, so why do you need law? To restore it. That is the purpose of the law. Law doesn't save anybody. Please understand the purpose of the law. Law doesn't save anybody. Law is brought in to restrain sin. Who is the law primarily aimed at? First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Okay? 
1.9. Knowing that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for the lawless, the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinners. For the unholy, the profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers. That's enough. But take simple, who is the law made for? For the lawless. The law is not made for the righteous man. It is made for the unrighteous man. Are you getting it? The law is not aimed at the righteous. Did we need the law? Did we need the cops? Did we need the army? We heard it. We understood it. Okay, we understood the purpose of the law. Intention of the law is not wicked or evil or anything. We understand that. Okay, so we didn't need the law. We didn't need the cops. We didn't. We just heard the news. Ha, understood. Fine, we'll stay in. We have the timings when you need to go out and how you need to go out. One on a bike or a two in a. We stuck to the law. We didn't need the law. One mention is enough, and that's enough. So the law is aimed on the lawless. And now you need to realize when lawlessness is going to increase and increase and increase in the last days because systems and governments itself will become lawless. Lawless to us. How? Because they will change the laws of God. And law, un, what unrighteous laws will be implemented. That's the problem of lifting law above God. Understand the difference of lifting the law above God. They will say, or lifting the government above God, or a nation, nationalism, patriotism, uh, law, law abiding are all very dangerous states. These things for the Christian. Okay. A nations can come and the laws can be entirely changed to target one group of people. God's people. Oh, one man! The entire Babylonian law was suspended for 30 days aimed at one individual. Babylon is huge. Millions and billions and 136 satra provinces. We have only 30 or 31 states. 136 provinces from India all the way to Persia to Israel. This is a huge empire consisting of millions of people. And the law, one law was, new law was introduced aimed at one man. Who is that? Daniel. What is the law? You should not pray. Of the state and the law. And anyone, this is our Babylonian law, even the king cannot change it. This is our law. Once it is sealed, you cannot change it. 30 days. What is that? If any man prays, penalty is death penalty. Okay, please. What did Daniel do? He went and prayed. Because no law can be over and above God from whom flows power, authority, righteousness. Every concept about law flows from God. So understand this. Because, so because never judge the underground churches. Never ever judge the underground churches how they function and how they live. They are more righteous than anybody else. So they may be actually breaking many laws of the nation. The laws are made aimed at them, but they break it for the sake of God. Okay? Okay. So please understand this. So there is Jesus. So what do we do? What do we do when lawlessness increases? God has an answer for that. For us, Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, the answer is there. Moreover, law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded? Grace. He's saying to my children, doesn't matter what is the state of the world outside. You have access to my grace. 
it can be the darkest hour of your life. The grace of God is available for you. And how do you access grace? By faith, we access grace. You can go through anything of any wicked system. You can still stand because the power of God is available for you to stand. By faith, you access the very throne room of grace. That is the answer. Because things will only get worse and worse and worse and worse in the world. The laws will be continuously changed, aiming a set of people. So we have it here. Jesus was born of God through Mary. So he's not born in sin, not shaped in iniquity. Yet he had the same body like Adam and Eve through Mary. He came at one of the darkest periods in human history, Jewish history. 400 years of silence. God hasn't spoken. You need to understand why. What do you mean dark? Dark is spiritual darkness first. Darkest period. You have to look at Jewish history because he's born under their law. The law was given to them. And Israel was to be a light to the nations. They became darkness. And to the point they became absolute darkness, God refused to talk to them for 400 years. No living word of God. And in the midst of it, spiritual darkness and moral darkness. What is moral darkness? The most ruthless empire ever, the Roman Empire, took over. We'll talk about the Roman uh, Pax Romana, the laws of Rome. The laws of Rome were only for the Romans. They had more slaves than citizens. Millions and millions and millions. And anybody raised their finger against the Roman Empire. You were made an example in your punishment. The Caesars used to crucify hundreds of slaves on the highways and leave them like there to die in days so that nobody would dare to lift a finger against the Roman Empire. That was the Roman, the most violent empire and the most immoral empire. They lived for pleasure. Sodomy, fornication, adultery, these were not even terms that bothered them. Young boys were used, so you have to hear the history of Roman Empire. Sexual immorality and living to eat and eating to live. Ships used to be sailing the oceans to bring rare animals for one meal of the Caesar. They have modern days, they have calculated saying a dinner of Caesar could have cost two to three million dollars, one meal. Lived for pleasure. Everything of the flesh, they lived for pleasure. The nobility, the kings, the emperors, the emperors, this is a story I read years ago, that the emperors, the Caesars, one of his concubines were taken away by lust. And she used to dress herself and go to a booth and sit as a prostitute and have sex with all the men who came just to enjoy and then go back to her palace and become the empress. That was the culture. And when you live in a culture like that, it permeates into the society, into the bones of everybody. That was the Egyptian culture too from where Israel came. That is why the first time law was taken away. See, law is a restraining influence. For Israel not to go into debauchery, the only thing that frightened them was Moses, not Aaron. Moses scared them. They had seen the power of God manifesting and the judgments of God. So when Moses went away, immediately said, they make, make us an idol. Restraining influence is gone. And the next time you see, they're all, actually what happened, they were all naked and having an orgy. That's why they were killed. They immediately reverted to the culture of Egypt. The restraining influence. Okay? Restraining influence. You need to understand, this is, so Jesus came at one of the darkest hours of human history, Israeli history. So that is Jesus, born in the darkest period. But that was God's fullness of time. Because when it is darkest, light shines the brightest. He came. No living word, sin, 
violence, everything, and there is he. First truth we need to know. He was born without sin. If you're born with sin, you cannot save sinners. He himself needs a savior. First truth you need to understand when you're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, what are you believing on? Because you cannot believe on Buddha. Buddha was born of ordinary human parents. Therefore, according to our scripture, he was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. It doesn't matter how righteous he was, but that is the way he was born. So he cannot save. You take the name of any man, religious leader, founder, everybody was born of man and woman. Man and woman. Therefore, they were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So only they could only show the way. They could never say, I am the way. They said, if you, this thing, maybe you may get eternal life. He said, I am the life. Okay, understand the difference, the statements of Jesus where he is making about it. So the first truth we believe about Jesus is, we understand from scripture, he was born without sin. He was born without sin. To save those who are under the power of sin. Then why did he come? He came under the law. He was born of woman, under the law. If you go to Matthew chapter 17, you will see he came under the law, but what was the purpose? No, no, sorry, 517, Matthew 5 and verse 17. Someone on the mount, he will make it very clear. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy. I came to fulfill. So he, his difference, is his purpose is different. All the others are trying to keep the law. He came to fulfill the law. There's a difference, entire difference between these two. He came to fulfill. He was born under the law of woman, sinless, to fulfill the law. Okay? Understand truth one, truth two. So he has to fulfill the law. And now to fulfill the law, he has to fulfill it in many ways to redeem us from under the law. First thing, he has to fulfill the law with his life. He's born without sin and he's going to die. Now we know around 33 and a half years he will die. So to fulfill the law, the nature of the law is, you cannot even break the law in one thing. One thing. Okay? First let us look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. What is sin? Sin is lawlessness, the breaking of the law. Okay, this first you have to understand that. What is sin? The breaking of the law. In James chapter 2.10, we have seen it over and over again, but get it very clearly. 2.10. Whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So he's born a woman without sin, under the law, he has to fulfill the law, he cannot even sin all the days of his life. Now look at what scripture says. First Peter chapter 2 verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was? So both in thought intention, which is revealed through your mouth, and in action, he never sinned. He never sinned. There was no deceit in his mouth. See, you know James chapter 3, he whose tongue control is a perfect man. Jesus was a perfect man. There was no deceit in his mouth. But there was no deceit in his heart. And you could always recognize another man who did not have deceit. So you look at Nathaniel. That's a true Israelite. Light recognizing. Smaller light. Okay. You see, sometimes when people talk 
the truth just the way it is. We think, what kind of a hard person you are? Because they have no deceit. They always tell about my wife. Tone down. I know you have no deceit. But people will not understand you have no deceit. You just talk the way it is. Come down. She has no guile in her heart. That's why God hears all her prayers. No guile in her heart. There's no guile in her heart. But when we live in this world, it's better to have no guile in your heart and talk less. Because people will misunderstand what you said. It's the absolute truth. So whenever Jesus said something, he told the truth. Go and tell that fox. No guile in his heart. He said that guy thinks like a fox. He's very cunning, that fellow. Look at the Pharisees and said, you know what? Here, no guile in his heart. He said, you know what you guys are? You're whitewashed graves. Very good outward religion, but inside you're rotten, full of... I mean, if they had no guile in their heart, they would have received and gone and cried and repented. Because he was speaking the truth. And no malice in his heart. No malice in your heart. The problem is that a lot of people who don't speak the truth from the pulpit actually have malice in their hearts. Or they're people pleasers. They're more worried about what people will think. But you're not helping your people by not telling the truth. You don't have to be nasty. We are not God that we see. But we have to speak the truth as it is because only the truth saves. So Jesus had no sin, nor was deceit. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. He had the same flesh which Adam and Eve had. Okay? Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan with one fruit. Now Jesus is tempted by the entire culture around. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted. As we are, just like we are, yet without sin. Absolutely without sin. I always have given this example when preaching to young people. I said, Jesus challenged as a young man who was greater than any one of us. Because not only was he challenged like all of us, he had the power to fulfill anything. The devil knew, if you have the Son of God, why don't you make the stones to bread? We saw the demonstrations of his power when he steps into the public realm. But in his private realm, he never demonstrated his power, never used it. Because... He could be tempted. He could use it. That is what happens. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Why do one people money? Why do one people, why do people want money? Not to live, but to indulge. So he was tempted in all points and never sinned. You could put him in any situation. Even the most agonizing situation on the cross, but there is no deceit in his mouth. No sin will come out of his mouth or in his deeds. So first he was born of woman without sin. Second with his life, he remains sinless till the very end. Okay? So he's starting to fulfill the law. Okay? He's the only man who lived under the law and kept the law and fulfilled the law. Third thing, he fulfilled the law by his death. How he is fulfilling. Galatians 3.10. Galatians 3.10. This is all the law. This is what the law says. For as many as of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. He kept everything. Not by the letter. Actually more than that. He kept it in the spirit. Okay. Yet the law says, cursed is the man who does not. So though he kept it all. He, when he went on to the cross, he became a cursed man. He became the cursed man. So why did he go on to the cross? Other words will say, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. 
Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. And this is the principle that till today it continues in the legal system. Let us imagine I have a very good reputation in the society, everything and all. Okay, And let us say uh, Peter sitting here has a terrible reputation and he's picked up by the police and he's there in the police station. But the police will release if I go over there on my surety. I'm vouching for him. His nature hasn't changed. Nothing has changed with him. But based on my bond, they will release him. This all came from the cross. Every principle of law comes from the cross. Everything where mercy is extended in the law comes from the cross. So what happens? Jesus becomes the curse under the law. For whom? To release all of us who should have hung. So something happened on the cross. There was a transference that took place. So Jesus was born of woman. He fulfilled the law with his life. He fulfilled the law with his death. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, what happened there? 5.21 For he made him. Who is the first he? The father. Who is the second he? The son. The father made the son who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is what happened on the cross. This is how he is fulfilling the, fulfilling the law. So he fulfilled the law first by his life, second by his death. He did not sin. He became sin for us. He became curse for us. As you heard in the morning, what he did was that he sucked the poison out of the system, of the serpent. He took the poison upon himself and said, you shall live. You live. Okay. Adam died with Eve in her sin. Jesus died for his wife for her sin. That's the difference. What is the difference between the first Adam and the last Adam? The first Adam died in sin for his wife. He also loved his wife. But they died together in sin like Ananias and Sapphira. They died together. Jesus refused to be partaker of the wife's sin. Instead, he died for his wife's sin. And that is the way the husbands are asked to love their wives in Ephesians chapter 5. The husband is the savior of his wife. And by his ministry of his word, his forever cleansing. Okay, we don't have to go there, okay? So he fulfilled the law with his life. He fulfilled the law with his death. But that is not enough. If he just died for our sins and if he did not rise from the dead, then death is still more powerful. Death is still more more powerful. So we still have no solution to the problem. The problem is the wages of sin is death. Yes, he paid the wages, but death is still powerful. If death holds him, he also will be held by death. We will also held by death. Only thing we'll have a good companion in death. Jesus is also there with us. But that doesn't give you any comfort. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 16, we will see what happened. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. 
and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Something is also mentioned over there, okay? Two things he set us free. One, he set us free for those of us who are living from the fear of death. That's the enemy's greatest power over the living. Why are the governments panicking and people panic? It's a fear of death. It's not death. It's a fear of death. Why are we not panicking though we obey the law? Because we have no fear of death. Because for us, death is going home. The best thing that can happen to a prepared believer is death. Absolutely the most, okay? And you have to get these fundamentals in your head, okay? Don't say, but what happens to my, my wife? And what happens to my children? That It doesn't work that way. That's another sermon, another day. What happens to them? Okay, learn from Enoch. So, we are released from the fear of death and we are released from the power of death. Fear of death and power of When you are living, you need to be released from the fear of death. If the fear of death comes in, it doesn't matter how, you have to continuously walk free from the fear of death all the days of your life. Otherwise, you, fear of death comes in, the enemy will keep on bringing. That's why all these videos are sent also to bring the fear of death in us. Oh, look at them being beaten and one boy in Punjab and the soles of his feet and Bengal, another one died because of the police. All this system really, really also don't mind actually these videos going on all over the world. Why? They want the fear to come into your hearts. When we say something, you better listen. The fear of death is worse than death itself. But we don't fear death. If you fear death at any point, you will stumble there. So you have to constantly fight this fear. Scripture says, at one point in his life, David thought, started in his mind, if I go like this, Saul will one day catch me and kill me. And the thought became an action. He went into the Philistine territory and lived there for 16 months in darkness. It was a fear of death. It was not that same man who said, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will no fear, no evil he feared. And he went down. He went down. Okay, you can profess something, but you have to live it through. So what he said in Psalm 23 is true, and what he did also is true for the fearful man. That's why God keeps on saying, I have not given you the spirit of fear. Okay, so he broke that. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, to 23, you will see how that also, that is the Holy Spirit, which he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly place. The power of death was broken. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, he put all things under his feet, Gave him to the behead over all things to the church. He did it all for one day knowing his church will come. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he broke the power of death. That is why we are able to sing that song in First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 55 to 57. So Peter, tomorrow you sing that song. Okay, oh death, where is your victory? Okay, that song. 15, First Corinthians 15 verses 55 to 57. Death. Where is your sting? Oh, Hades, that is hell. Where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Both the law has been taken away. Sin has, we have been given. The sin's penalty has been paid. The power over sin is daily given through the spirit and through grace. And death has been 
abolished for us. Even if we die, we live. Okay? So, what is that we believe? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why he told the Jews and the Hebrews, ask for a sign of John, ask sign for John. He said, I will give you only one sign. The sign, we ask for a sign. He said, only I will give you one sign. It's a sign of John. Three days and three nights. One day I will have to preach on that because there are a lot of people asking, what is this three days, three nights? How do you answer three days, three nights when it does not fit in with Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday? Confusion is the, the apostate church has created for believers. Confusion created. Because the first thing they will call three days, three nights, but Good Friday, Sunday morning. Where is the night and where is the day? And scripture is very clear. The evening and the morning is the first day. Did he very clearly, he didn't, he didn't say parts of three days and parts he didn't. He said three days and three nights. Because that's how the Jewish calendar goes. Okay, we'll come to that another day. You need to realize he fulfilled the law. First he was born a woman. Born under the law. Kept the law with his life. Kept, took the curse of the law with his death. And then he rose from the dead. This is what we have to believe. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with your heart, confess with your mouth God has raised him from the dead, you are saved. He died for me. I repent. He died for me. He took my punishment. And he is risen from the dead. I don't have to die for sin anymore. That's why John was baptizing, 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 preaching, baptizing. That was all work. But he had one work. God had told him. One of the people whom you baptize, you will see the Holy Spirit descend upon him. You see, we look at the big picture, but he core his entire thing. I mean, imagine you are baptizing. This is how John is baptizing. Because, you know, if Holy Spirit has to come and you can see it must be coming from above, right? Poor fellow. We all baptize like this and we this thing. He is baptizing like this. And then one day he baptized. And you saw the Holy Spirit landing. Any point? Behold the Lamb of God. It takes and all that is revelation. Revelation. Mystery hidden from man. It's all revelation given to John. Behold the Lamb. You see the difference between revelation and truth. Let me tell you the difference between revelation and truth. Revelation is something God is showing you. Truth is what is gone inside. So you may have a revelation without the truth of the revelation within you. You getting the picture? It's like watching a movie. When you're watching the movie, you enjoy it, you think you're a part of it. When you go out, the movie is not you. So he had a revelation and he pointed it out. A little later, he will question the revelation because the revelation has not become truth. And that's why pastors have to be very careful. You may have a revelation. Good. Reveal. The problem is I may get a revelation and I may reveal it to you. You may take the revelation and it becomes truth for you when it has not become truth for me. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Two of his disciples left and followed that revelation. John never followed. Never followed. But his disciples followed him. Jesus looked at them. What do you seek? What do you seek? He said, where do you say? He come and say. And a little later, next day he goes and says, come, behold, we have found the Messiah. And they never questioned that he is not the Messiah. So, man who had the revelation, the revelation did not become truth for him. Okay, please understand these things about ministry. Okay, ministry. God is not said, we need the spirit of wisdom and revelation, but the truth sets you free. The book of Revelation does not set you free. The book of Revelation, when it becomes truth, sets you free. 
Otherwise, book of Revelation is a very nice book. It's like science fiction. Which you cannot understand. But it's not the book of Revelation. It is the revelation that becomes truth. So you go to the first church and say, okay, the first, the first truth in the book of Revelation is this. A church can be fantastic in all their ministry, but if they have personally fallen their first love, God will remove his light from them. That's the truth. Ask yourself, have I fallen my first love? Is there anything, anybody more important than God in my life? That's the truth. And if the truth hasn't come into your heart, the revelation is irrelevant. The first truth to the first church. It's called the book of Revelation, but that's the truth. Before the revelation of the church has come, what is the truth? You can be caught in any situation, quarantine for years or anything, but hasn't touched your spirit at all. You can still worship the Lord in the spirit. The worship is in the spirit. You don't need anything to worship God. When truth is inside and the spirit is with you, you can worship God anywhere, anytime. Worship is not restricted. Governments can make law, but they cannot restrict worship. Worship is a spiritual thing. You can stand there in the middle of the street with your eyes opened and you can still worship God. Nobody would even know and only God would know. No law can stop worship. If you understand what worship is. There are truths in the book of Revelation. Okay, so it's a truth that sets you free, not revelation. So this is what is happening over there. What do you believe? This is what you have to believe. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, what is His name? Yeshua. Means? If you call upon the name of Moses, you are not saved. If you call on the name of Joshua, you are saved. Two types. Moses can only bring you till here, to the edge of the land, and he points you to Joshua. And he will tell all the people, follow him, he will take you across. That's the purpose of the law. What's the purpose of the law? Bring us till Jesus and say, follow Jesus, he will take you across. I can only point you. I cannot take you anywhere. My only job is, I am a law itself is a signboard. What it is to show? Jesus. The purpose of any law, every law in any religion is to point us to Jesus Christ. The impossibility of keeping it. Impossibility of keeping it. And when I look up at the cross, look at the work of finished work of Jesus Christ, and when I repent, because I have to repent, you know what you have to repent of. Then you realize I'm not putting a trust in anything, I'm repenting upon my works of my flesh, I'm putting on my dependence of my works of the law, and I'm putting my trust only in the work of Jesus Christ. Scripture says you are born again. And there is a supernatural act of God when the Spirit of God comes inside. And spiritually, there is one part of you which is activated. It's not your soul. It's not your flesh. It's your spirit. Suddenly, divine light comes in. You know you are born again. Suddenly, the word starts making sense. Starts making sense. You start. That's the problem. You can always make out. Everything is okay? That is... That is the gift of the Spirit. What is it? Christ is born in me. I am born again by the seed of God. That is Jesus Christ. Nicodemus could not understand this. We all understand it. We don't know the Torah like Nicodemus did till today. But he couldn't understand that. But we can understand that easily though we don't know the Torah. Because it's something spiritual. This is the promise in the Old Testament. 
the shadow and the substance. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 16, the Bible says, 3.16, Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seeds and as of many, but as of one and to your seed who is Christ. This is where my dear Muslim brothers, your controversy should stop. You'll always say in Islam that Abraham took Ishmael up to the mountain and not Isaac. That's how they read their Quran. It's not Isaac. We say, no, it is Isaac. But actually it is irrelevant who was taken up there. It is relevant in another way because God was not talking about either Isaac or Ishmael. God was talking about Jesus. When God promised Abraham a seed, he was talking about Jesus Christ. Not that if you believe in Ishmael or Isaac, you will be saved. If you only believe in Jesus, you will be saved. But then we know it is Isaac, secondary evidence, because Jesus comes through Isaac. So you know Jesus did not come through Ishmael. Okay. Primary fact is this. Primary fact, God is not talking about Isaac or Ishmael. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Okay. And there are different parts of it which we know Abraham saw. That's why they picked up stones to stone Jesus when he said, Abraham sought, rejoice to see my day. You are not even 30, 40, 50 years old. What are you talking about? Abraham saw. Because Abraham saw. And God took him out. And in that vision, he saw that Jesus would come. Jesus would die. Jesus would rise again. And he realized this is where the salvation of Israel is connected. Abraham knew. Whatever format he knew it, we do not know whether it PDF or MS Word, we don't know. He knew it in some format because all the Old Testament only saw it as a whale, not very clear. But they knew, they knew very well, they knew very well. Okay, so that's what we believe. And Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14, another set of people took off with that, 3.14. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Okay? What was the blessing of Jesus Christ? It was the Holy Spirit. I will bless you and all, I will make you a great nation, all that. But the actual blessing that was pronounced over him was a spiritual blessing. That Jesus Christ would come and then through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will come and you would have millions and millions and billions of people born again through the Holy Spirit. That is the promise. Instead, they took it and ran with it saying, if you are you are a seed of Abraham, heir according to the promise and you will have houses which you never built and cards which you did not pay a loan for. They turned it all upside down when it was talking about the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus would always correct these things in his ministry. If your fathers know how to give evil fathers good things, how much will your father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? The greatest blessing any man can receive as a child of Abraham is to be born of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit. That is salvation. How do you know you are saved? Not because you believed in certain doctrines. It's because you have an inward proof and an outside proof. There are two proofs you have. Outside proof is I am born again scripturally. I have repented of all these things. I have believed and I have been baptized and I have an inward witness, the Holy Spirit from inside speaking to me and through me, Abba, Father. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. The word of God is the outside witness. The hearing is the inward witness. You need to have both. 
That's the proof. You need to have both. There are two witnesses. Everything in heaven shall be established with two or more. Two witnesses. Every believer has two witnesses. One is the witness of the Holy Spirit inside. The other is the witness of the, and they never contradict. The Holy Spirit and the word never contradict. They are one. Okay, that's your proof. That's why uh, a man who is not really saved, but under the law of Christianity or a law of this thing, he will go under the law and try to do under the law when he falls. Peace offering or this thing and this thing. But the man who falls, who has got the inward witness, immediately knows. And will fall before God. And put it right with God. And he walks away free. Because the inward witness tells him. It's not his conscience. Conscience can be always manipulated. When the world turns wicked and wicked and wicked, your conscience also will turn wicked, darker and darker and darker and darker. But if the Holy Spirit is this thing, your conscience cannot be manipulated. It gets more and more and more sharper. Because in the darkness, your conscience is now telling you even more clearly, don't go that way, don't go that way, don't go that way, don't get it. gets more. It's the witness of the Holy Spirit. If you follow the principles of the Holy Spirit. Because you are born again. Yesterday we saw by the incorruptible seed. Not the corruptible, but the incorruptible seed of God. That is 1 Peter 1.23. And we are born again by the word of truth. Okay? And that's what Peter said in Acts 2.38. If you repent and be baptized, what will you receive? You will receive, God will forgive your sins, remission of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 3.2, that is what Paul is saying. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of? The proof is the Holy Spirit. Okay, in Galatians 4.19, Paul will say, 4.19, he will say, My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. So what is salvation? Salvation is Christ in me and I in Christ. That is salvation. This is not a theological argument. It's a real spiritual experience. Christ in us, we in Christ. Individually speaking, I in Christ, Christ in me. That is what Colossians 1.17 says. All those people are aware of the Holy Spirit, Christ in us. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, 119, I think. Christ in us, uh, two said the hope of glory. Okay, 127, yeah. To whom God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. What is the hope of our glory? Why are we not afraid? How will our fear of judgment go? Depends on much how much Christ has grown in us. When Christ has reached his full measure, as the Bible talks about, then there is no fear of judgment. We don't even tell Lord, tarry. You'll say, Lord, come quickly. You want me to stay? It is for the people. But if you ask me, I want to go. So Paul is able to see the fullness of Christ in him and says, I see the crown of righteousness. Who is worthy of the crown of righteousness? Only Christ, not us. Christ has grown full in him. Okay. This is salvation. This is the growth of salvation. We are looking at salvation. Okay. So in John 15 and verse 4, God will use the illustration so that we will understand in our human physical. Abide in me and I in you. You stay in me, I will stay in you. Because you have the free will. I also have the free will. But I have already chosen in my free will what to do. I want to stay in you. 
Now you in your, he says, just like that. I had my free will when I came in the flesh. Born of a woman under the law. Of, and I used my free will 24 hours every second of my living life to stay in the Father. I used my free will. I had the free will to step away. And that free will is what the devil is. If Jesus did not have the free will, the devil will not tempt him. That's why the devil never tempts animals. Because they have no free will. The devil tempts only human beings because if you don't have free will, you cannot be tempted. What's the point of temptation? You have no free will to choose. The greatest gift God has given mankind is the freedom to choose, which we call free will. And as, as long as free will is there, and sin is there, and the devil is there, and this universe exists as it is, there is always temptation. And in that free will, we have to make this choice for God or fall in with the temptation. And Jesus refused. How did he refuse? He chose to abide in his father by abiding in the words of his father. He says, I'm showing you a way how you should go. That he will say in verse 7. 15.4 If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Leave the rest. Others will focus on the rest. Let us look at that part alone, the first part. You abide in me. How do you abide in me? By abiding in my word. Now we are not talking about the letter of the word. Letter of the word kills. By letter of the word, you are not abiding in him. It's by the spirit of the word that you make. I say, I am not a murderer. God says, are you an angry person? This whole morning sermon, if you look at it, cutting hearts, it's basically, it is not to bring condemnation. It is to go deeper into him. It is not looking at the letter of the law, it is looking at the spirit of the law. This is how you read it. This is how you use all these Old Testament examples and their reactions. Each one of these people, when they were not zealous for God, the zeal of God caused them. Not zeal for God, but the zeal of God them caused to do different, different things. I will tell you like exactly how it is. When Abel offered by faith that blood, it was Christ living through him. It was not Abel. It's a testimony of Christ in him. When Enoch walked with God, it is Christ in Enoch walking with God. When Noah built an ark, it's Christ in Noah building an ark for the saving of his family. So we look at those examples and this is the spirit of Christ living through all these people. And we learn from their example and forget their sins. Learn from their sins not to go that way. It is Christ in all. That is why if you read Hebrews chapter 11, it is all begins by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, by faith. What does it by faith mean? Faith comes from hearing. So you have heard. So you're not listening to yourself. You're listening to another voice that is of God. Two, by faith you access grace. So grace is the power of God. So you have heard somebody, you have received his power. What is yours? Only the action. The rest is God's. So he has just used your body. But he lives through you. On the other hand, if you haven't heard, you heard another voice, the voice of the devil. And he speaks in many, many voices, cultured voices with an accent, educated, illiterate. He can voice in any kind of voices he can speak to you. And when you obey him, he also empowers you. Because he has power to empower you. And you also have power, the sole power of man, because God breathed into you. You also have power on your own. So you have God's power, you have the devil's power, and you have man's power. And in the last days, it will be like the days of Noah, where the sons of God saw the daughters of men. They saw the fallen angels and humans coming together. So it is the power of devil 
and the power, latent power of the man's soul coming together, and there were giants in that land. The word in Hebrew is Nephilim. Nafa means the fallen ones. Fallen ones. And that's what's happening now. All over in the world, in secret, secret places, there are men and demons getting together. And what do we call? Just like that. There are, oh, this is a giant of industry. This is a giant in sport. One of the reasons I don't watch sports is because I don't know what empowers them. When a guy is technically too good, I back off. I back off. I don't want to see something if it is empowered by the devil. That he stuns and then he has this huge fan following. I stay away. Movies, stars, mega stars, this thing. And though I, I have realized that, you know, the demonic has taken over this whole, this thing. Because men and women and demons have come together from the beginning. And into the religious system also they have come together. In the book of Ezekiel, God will say, right? Yesterday we looked at 70 elders. Do you see what they are doing? And religious people also, they hear the word. But they have no power. They need power. They need power. And they don't have the patience and the time and the perseverance and the repentant heart to go to God and fall before Him and be broken. And God is, they don't understand the mercy of God actually. Mercy of God. And they, God breaks them, and God restores them, God empowers them, and God sends They don't have that. They're always easy. That's what the devil says. You know, it's all about worship. Remember the pharaohs, pharaoh, pharaohs of compromises? You don't have to do all this, no? The same thing the devil told him. You don't have to go through the, all this. What are you talking about? You just bow down before me. I'll give you. What do you want? You want the world, right? It's in my hand. I can just give it to you on a platter. I can give it on a platter. So those are two things that we fight every day. Every day you have to fight it. And when you fail, run to the right source. Don't run to the wrong source for more power. Run to the wrong right source to say, Lord, save me, save me, save me, Lord. So no man will abide in me and my words. His words have to abide in you. Meaning that truth has to become part. It's not memorizing scripture. A lot of people who have memorized scripture who are as bad as the devil. Didn't the devil quote scripture? Was he converted by scripture? No. There are so many devils behind the pulpit preaching scripture. But they have not been converted by the scripture. Though the scripture is the power of God, you can deny the power of God. So we are not talking about scripture per se. Behind the scriptures, there is a truth. Like if you look at you abide in me and my words abide in you. Lord, how do I abide in you? How do I stay? Abide means to live. How do I live in you? How do I live in you? How do you live in me? Now you look at, we, Pastor Vijay is over here. Okay, now Abigail is sitting and watching and taking notes. But afternoon she must have been doing her math. Doing her math. Okay, why? Because her father's word is living in her and living through her. Her father said, I've sent you the homework, do it. Though he is so far away and he's not watching, his mind and his thoughts is controlling her actions. You know what? That is living in her. Abigail is not doing anything which Abigail wants to do. Abigail is doing what her father wants to do. That is how Jesus is talking about. That is what faith is. When faith comes in, God lives through us. 
lives through us. This is, it begins, salvation begins there. You hear, you believe, you repent, you get baptized, when you are cutting off your ties with the world and the law, then you are married, you enter into a covenant with Jesus Christ, and the Bible says from faith for 1 John, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 and 18. Let's look at all three. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is what? The power of God to it's the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel of Christ. It is not the gospel of prosperity. The gospel of the kingdom is the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel of Christ? He came, born of woman, God sent his son. Second, born of a woman, the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law. For what? To redeem us who were all under the curse of the law. And how could he do that? He had to go through an entire process. And he went through the process that is according to the law. That's why when Paul writes in this thing about in the book of Corinthians, he will say, Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures, this thing, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, it's all according to the scriptures, because otherwise it is not true. It is not true. Because the law and the prophets are pointing to Jesus Christ and everything that he do has to be proved by scriptures. So we have an external truth, an internal witness. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first. Why? Because it's easier for him to believe. When he, they refuse, then God went over to the Gentiles. And also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just meaning, how does your salvation begin? By faith. And from that, the whole journey has to be faith. Why? Because my just shall live by faith. And what does verse 18 says? For the wrath of God is revealed from against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the, they suppress the truth. In unrighteousness. They suppress the truth. Lord religious leaders suppress the truth. They know what the truth is. And they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, let's leave that alone. My just shall live by faith. So there is only one way to live. There are not two ways to live. It's only one way you can live. My just shall live by faith. After you are saved, there is only only one way you only one way acceptable to God. Why? What has God accepted? He has accepted the offering of Jesus Christ. What is the offering of Jesus Christ? His life. What he gave was his life. So what is acceptable to God? His life. My life is not acceptable to God from the beginning till the end. Why am I saved? Because when I believed in Jesus Christ, he came in and God says, I accept the Christ in you. I don't accept you. But I accept the Christ in me. You are born of divine seed. I accept that seed. That's why scripture says, he who is born of God does not sin. Because the seed remains in him. In 1 John, chapter 3, 6 or something. Okay. That's incorruptible seed. And God accepts Christ in me. He doesn't accept me. So the more I allow Christ to live, the more pleasing I become to God. So there is only one way of living for man. What is that living? My just. So if you go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2, you will see the entire gospel of man in Christ. The gospel of Christ in man and the gospel of Okay, therefore having been justified by faith. What is the first act God does when I believe I am declared just, righteous. I am not a sinner forgiven. 
am not a sinner forgiven. I am not a sinner pardoned. That's all Old Testament. That's all Old Testament. I am declared righteous with the righteousness of God. Because what is the seed that gave birth to me? The seed of God. The incorruptible seed. I am declared, you know how? As righteous as God. As righteous as God in seed format. Like we say, you know, you take an oak seed, you look at it, you look at it, and you know, this has got the entire potential to become an oak tree. So God says, in you is the seed of my son. It can grow and become holy, not power. Power is a different thing. But I don't think even God has issues with power because he has no ego issues. Okay? You can grow and be perfect in your righteousness, perfect in your holiness, perfect in your love, in your capacity. If you allow my son to grow. But in the seed format, he's not forgiving you or anything. That is, he does, but that is secondary. He's declaring you righteous. And because he declares me righteous, what do I have with God? I have peace with God. What do we have first? We have peace with God. The first thing God gives you, have peace. You have peace. You've been justified. Suddenly the weight of the law has come. Weight of the law has come. I don't have to do one more thing to please God. One more thing to perform under the law. One more religious ritual. I don't have to do any of those things. God is pleased with me. Because I'm born of Christ as a baby. You know, the baby, if like, we can't listen here, but if baby is there, Atira doesn't have to do one thing to please the father or mother. One thing. All you look at it as a kid, you know what? When you sleep, when you cry, when you scowl, it doesn't matter what your expression is, I am pleased with you. You know why? Because you are mine. You are mine. That's the person who is born of Christ. But you cannot remain that way. Atira grows up, she makes faces, God, I'm not pleased with you because your face is showing something that is from within you, meaning you are not pleased with what I said. So baby in Christ, God gives the baby in Christ a long rope. Okay, please understand how God deals with babies and how God deals with young men and how God deals with fathers. Okay. So what do we have? Peace with God. Please let me hammer it again. God is perfectly, totally satisfied with the work of Jesus on the cross. No one has to do one more thing to add to the work of salvation. When Jesus said it is finished, it was finished. You and I cannot add to the work of salvation. So what we do after salvation is not the work of salvation. It is the work of the saved. Not the work of salvation. Even when you repent, you are not repenting to be saved. Your repentance is the repentance of the saved. The repentance of the unsaved and the repentance of the saved are two different things. The repentance of the unsaved is, Lord, have mercy on me. The repentance of the saved is, Daddy, I hurt you. That's a difference. So two different things. When my father
father spanked the daylights out of me at school. That was a principal hitting a student. When he spanked me at home, it was a father hitting the son. And my reaction was different. He wouldn't allow me to call me daddy or father or anything at school. It would be very embarrassing because I was a small boy. I didn't understand his concepts. Now I understand it very well. Those days I didn't understand. Like you are in a, you posted to a new school. You are in the classroom. The students are all sitting over there. I am sitting here. Everybody is sitting over here. Suddenly the principal comes to the class and says, what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? And he looks at me. What's your name? I don't even blink. My name is Santosh James, sir. Uh, what's your name? What's your name? And he walks up as if he doesn't even know me. That's a student and a principal. Do you think when I went home, he asked me what was my name? That's the difference. That is why when Jesus became sin on the cross and his father turned his face away from him, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and not my father, my father? Just not his father, for his father never forsook the son, but God forsook him. As a father, he never forsook his son, but as God, he forsook him. That's why when he dies also, he dies by faith, by saying, Father, Lord, I, I, I commit my spirit into thy hands. You have turned your face away. It's all dark. But I still trust you. I know who you are. I have fulfilled your purpose and I'm trusting my spirit into thy hands. On the third day, you will raise me up. So these are spiritual truths. Which we also, and that's how we get confirmed in our salvation and don't walk under condemnation. The condemnation of a sinner and the conviction of a son are two different things. The law only brings condemnation. That was the problem with the prodigal son. He went away. And when he comes back, because he's under the law, he's coming back like a servant, like a slave. And that's my issue with pastors who take people back to the law. Because you are in the light, that is Christ, I am the light. And what is the law? It's a shadow. And people who have sit in the shadows are looking for light. And those who have come to the light, you are taking them into the shadows. Those who lifted their veil and can see the glory of God are being taken and the veil is being put back on their face. Do you understand the treachery and the debauchery of that without even realizing this is the, one of the dangerous deceptions that happens? That's one reason why you don't go to Israel. How many times free these things were offered? I'm not going to Israel. What do I have in Israel? When Paul says, Christ, I don't want to know him in the flesh. No sentimental attachments with Israel. My sentimental attachment is with the Christ who rose again. When do I want to go to Israel? When he comes back. I don't want to Israel. I want to see him. <coughs> Once this Israel mania began and everybody went over there, they started bringing all the things of the law and slowly they have become Jewish. <laughs> when God is expecting the Jew to look to the church and get saved, now we are going to the paths of law, back to the shadows. And people don't even realize the danger of it is. The whole book of, not just book of Philippians, almost in every letter Paul will have something to do. He had, was so mad with the people. Yet he should have been the happiest because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Under the law, blameless. He kept the law like no man's business. He calls them dogs. Imagine a man who was under the law calling now, who are trying to take the believers back to the law. What does he call him? Oh, kutte. Beware, oh, kutte. And I'm telling you, when he writes, calls, beware of those dogs, and the Holy Spirit inscribes it, I can tell you there is no guile in his heart. 
no guile in his heart because he's willing to die for them. He loves them, no guile in his heart, and when he calls them dogs, he's using an illustration, the dog goes back to its vomit. God saved you from the law, now you're taking them back to the law. That's what he means. These are people who had no guile, otherwise the Holy Spirit won't put it over there. So the beginning of it is, we have, we are declared just. Romans 5, 1. Two, we have peace with God. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Three, by faith now we have access to the very throne room of grace. We have grace for each day and we can stand. You don't have to stand in your own power to do one thing. Anything God asks you to do, you have the power of God to do it. Grace, unlimited. Not brazen grace. (coughs) Unlimited. All these people who preach about grace, including Joseph Prince, doesn't even know what they are talking about. Scandalous some of their preachings are. This is grace that takes you back to the world. (coughs) To be very, very careful about this. I'll tell you the truth. The temple was divided into three places. The outer courts, the holy place, and the most holy place. In the outer courts, you know, the history of Israel, 11 tribes were caught in the outer courts. So the crowd there was very, very big. One tribe had access to the holy place, the Levites. And in that Levitical group, one person had access to the holy place. Okay, so as you go further and further with God, the number is decreasing. Okay. But the man in the most holy place also went in only once a year, came out. He ministered to those here and he ministered to those here because he is hearing or making atonement for everybody. Where was the crowd largest? So whenever you see ministries very, very large, you need to realize they are only feeding the flesh because that's flesh. That's flesh. It's all flesh. That's why the number is very, very, very high. You cannot expect to take that crowd into the holy place or the most holy place. So this is flesh ministry. So if you ever get into ministry, don't say one one million hits on my message. You don't want it. Then you have to start questioning what you are preaching. When Jesus at the end of the day had only 11, Moses had only 2. And then you will have another set of people in the holy place, which is all correct. But you need to realize in the holy place, the spirit never spoke. Man had to eat the bread. Man had to light the light. Man had to, by actually his own soul, effort all the work that was going on. That is the part of the, which is the soul. The soulish man seeking the righteousness of God. But when he went to the holy of holies, man did not speak there. Only God speak there. Let's leave Aaron out. Aaron could go there only once a year. But there was another man called his younger brother called Moses. He went in and out of the holy place all the time. He never died. He never offered atonement either. Did you ever see Moses taking the blood inside? No, he didn't. Because there's a new covenant man knowing that Christ has already done it to have free access there. And when he came out, he could speak to them and he could speak to them. But he remained separate. And his message they did not receive. That's why they were so mad at him. And they didn't want him. I'm telling you honestly, because now we are on camera. Now we are on. So don't get disappointed by numbers or excited by numbers. Ministry has, numbers and ministry has no meaning at all. 
no meaning at all. Because when Paul, by the end of his life in Second Timothy, says, all of Asia has abandoned me. He's practically, he's dying with five or six or seven believers who have remained loyal to him at the end. And he's lying in prison in Rome and nobody searches for him except one guy searches and finds him. That was the end of Paul. We consider him great because he's in scripture. Do you think Apostle had a crowd when he died? Apostle Thomas had a crowd when he died in Thomas? No. No, 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 them had. Okay, so please don't get it wrong. But our job is to first at least get them into the outer courts where there is forgiveness. These are children. To make children into young men is not a very easy thing at all. To get the children into the holy place is very difficult because the holy place is the ministry of the word. John chapter 2, you will see. Let's go to John chapter 2 so that we, before we close, we will look at that. Uh, John cha- 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter, no, no, 1 and verse 12 onwards, 1 to 15. You went to 2, 1, 1, 1. 1 John 1. See. 1 John 1 12. Am I getting it wrong? Little children, brothers, young men. Okay, 2 2. 1 John chapter 2 12. Yeah. Got it? Okay. This is how the Holy Spirit divides the people within the church into three groups. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. What do children know? Only forgiveness of sins. I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about spiritual children. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. If you see, that's the only thing mentioned about the fathers. From the beginning you have understood who he is and what he is like. You have understood God. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. So they are into spiritual battle because they have entered into the holy place and they understand the value of righteousness and holiness. Because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. How have they known the father? As a forgiver of sins. I have written to your fathers because you have known him from the beginning. I have written to young men because you are strong. Why are you strong? Because the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Three categories. Children. Young men. All three know the father at three different levels. About the fathers, you don't have to write anything. You have known him from the beginning. And you have pursued So Paul is a father. And Timothy is a young man. Spiritually. So Timothy always has to be told, Timothy, do this, do this, do this. But he's a father. Nobody has to tell Paul what to do. Because he's understood the heart of God. He's understood the heart of God. Okay, so please remember once you are saved and you get into the kingdom of God, the old type, old testament shadows are there. Patterns are there. So we all enter in as a, everyone, doesn't matter what age, even if you today you believe and enter in as a 60 year old man, you enter in as a child. And how do you enter? With the knowledge of what? Forgiveness of your sins. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Daddy, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for forgiving my sins. You need to have that all your life, thanking God for the forgiveness of your sin, the childlike appreciation of the forgiveness of sins. But you cannot stop there. You need to go further. 
What is it? You have to become a young man. Spiritual young man. Who is a spiritual young man? The spiritual young man is the one who knows what spiritual battle is. Serial looks at the world and says, hey, hang on. The people are not my enemies, but the world system is. The world system is everything has been created to bring me down. My flesh and this world, they like each other. I need to fight the world. I need to fight my flesh. I need to fight the enemy. Then he realized, you know what, this is too much of a thing. Fighting this world daily is too difficult. Fighting this enemy, this fellow never sleeps nor slumbers. It's just like that nature he has of God. He doesn't need sleep. He has energy unbounded. He never gets tired. And he's got millions on his disposal. So fighting him and fighting this is too much. The city never sleeps. This fellow never sleeps. So where? how do I win this battle? I just die to my flesh. The flesh is dead. The world can't do anything to you. The devil can't do anything to you. That's why Jesus is dead. The ruler of this world has come and he found nothing in me. Kalas. Kalas. I'll tell you the easy way. The easy way to win over the world and die to your flesh. What does the world appeal to? Your flesh. What does the devil try to catch you by your flesh? Die to your flesh. So the young men have understood. How did they understood? They understood the truth of the word. They are very strong in the word. Because you are strong. And how are they strong? Because the word of God Word of God, if you abide in me and my words abide, they have understood the truth of God's word. They have understood the truth of God's word. And they are trying. Now they are on the road to becoming a father. They have understood the truth of God's word. Now they need to know the God of that truth. Two different things. Word of God and the God of the word. One truth is, is also like an ideology. An idea, an ideology, an idea, an ideology has incredible power. Honesty is the best policy. Incredible power it has. That does not mean you have imbibed and that God behind honesty has become yours. Okay? There is truth. There is God. Truth as an idea. Thy word is truth. God is truth. So when I read the word... I can encounter the truth here as objective truths. I can also encounter God has truth. When you encounter the truth and have worked out things according to that, you can still be at peace because you really, really didn't know God has truth. But if you have known God as truth, even though you have handled all the issues according to the truth, you are still restless because you have not made peace with the God of truth. So David has done everything. Uriah is dead anyway. He died in war. I didn't kill him. I just gave a letter. He went. He could have said no, but he went. He didn't have to die in the battle. He could have probably come alive. So it's God's will for him to die. Okay. I didn't kill him. The Philistines killed him. He went to battle. Soldiers die in battle. So it's a normal truth. So many soldiers die in battle. So he died in battle. She's a widow. Now I can marry a widow. I took the widow. I married her. So everything is fine. But the problem is God of truth, he knows. As far as truth is concerned by this thing, he settled the truth. The kingdom is at peace. Everything is fine. But inside, he knows something is gone. What is gone? The joy of salvation has gone. 
That's connected with the person. Remember his cry? Do not. Restore unto me the joy. You are my salvation. And joy is connected with the person. Joy is gone, Lord. And God knows he can encounter this man. So he used the same illustration which will only appeal to a man who knows God. Okay, a rich man had this and a poor man had this and the rich man came and took this poor man's lamb and immediately. Very sensitive. Very sensitive. Who's that man? He said, you, 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 you're that man. You're that man. Okay, you have to understand these things. If you don't understand these things, we will not grow in our salvation. So whether you are a child listening or a young man listening, fathers, I have nothing to say. I'm beyond uh, telling you anything. Because to any father listening, a father needs to speak to you. So let God speak to you. Fathers don't need instruction. Young men still need instruction. How to become a father. How to become a father. Okay, it's going to be one more minute. And tomorrow we will come back again. Let me give you the example. We will look at, as long as the quarantine continues, we shall thrive. Okay. Once upon a time, there was a young child in a house. He was a child. He loved his father. Okay. But we do not know the nature of his life as a child. When he is introduced to us, he comes to us as a young man who is 17 years old. His name is Joseph. When Joseph is introduced to us, the word abides in him and he has defeated the wicked man. From 17 to 30, you see the battles of Joseph, the young man, spiritually. At 30, he is a father over Egypt. At 40, he is a father to his father and all his brothers. He is a father. Because he has known the father from the beginning. He feeds his father and his elder brothers and everybody. Understand patterns in the Bible. The first 17 years of his life, we do not know. We don't have to know. It's a life of a child. So when Genesis 37 begins, it begins strangely. This is the genealogy or generations of Jacob. It begins with Joseph. Joseph was 17 years old. Doesn't talk about Jacob. Meaning God has only a history. The history of God is always connected with the testimony of Christ. So this is the history of Jacob. But Jacob's entire history has Israel has Christ is rolled into one life that is Joseph. And after that the next 13 chapters is about Joseph except one with Judah and Tamar. That interruption is there because Jesus will come through that. Otherwise that interruption wouldn't be there. 37, 38 Judah and Tamar. 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50. And at 50, Joseph is different from his father. Father says, take me back. He says, no, keep me here because one day God will send somebody and take me back. So his body is not buried. It's kept there as a symbol for generations of Jews who will grow up in Egypt by saying that, you know what? Whose body is that? That is Joseph's. Why is that body outside? Haven't you heard our father say, Joseph had said, one day God will send us somebody and he will take us out of this land. Who was a symbol for the Israelites groaning for 450? The prosperity and adversity, it was one body that was kept embalmed and kept up in the public square. 450 years later when Moses comes and takes out scripture, says they took Joseph's body with them. 
And this is the things which you have to see in the eye of your spirit. They're wandering. They crossed the Red Sea. They wandered through the desert. They crossed the Jordan. And before them, after the wilderness journey, before them goes the ark. Right behind the ark is Joseph's body. Two boxes are following. One is the box carrying the testimony of God. The other is the box carrying the testimony of God's man. God's man. And that's the spirit of Christ still living. That is what it means. The anointing rested on Elisha's bones. You understanding? The testimony of Christ continuing with him. Elisha died. Testimony never dies. Abel is dead, but he still speaks. Because Christ never dies. So from the beginning, Abel down to the last man who walks by faith. It is the uninterrupted testimony of Christ. And the spirit. So understand these pictures children. And say Lord that is what I want. And because we are on this side. And we are a child and he's a father. You also know comfort. If you fathers know how to give good things. Meaning you stumble fall doesn't matter. He's interested in my finish and your finish more than we are. More than we are. Because he's a father. And his love for his children is perfect. Perfect love. His love for us is not like our children for, like our love for our children. His love for us is perfect. So you can, that's why talking about the knowledge. Yesterday we looked at one little knowledge. Pastor Vijay also mentioned this morning. One little knowledge of God everybody appealed to. What is that? The mercy of God. Lord, have mercy. Can I to a man said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. He didn't respond. I am a merciful God, but you are out of line. You are Canaanite, you are calling me by a Jewish identity. You are not Jewish. You can't call me son of David. So he didn't say anything. Second time, she sent her away. Then she understood and she said, Lord. Okay, that's, anybody can call him Lord. He looked at her and said, what you are asking is for children. Bread is for the children. He's answering here according to a first appeal. You call me son of David, right? But he didn't say that thing to all the others who called him son of David, have mercy. He stopped because they are children. Should have. What do you want? Healing? Take. That's bread for the father. All this is father's generous, freely. Take it, take it, take it. It's all part of mercy. Part of grace. Take it, take it, take it. But she said, uh, you call me David, son of David. But everything God gives is to his children. You are asking something which is meant for children. She said, she's not offended. Offended at all. She says, but Lord, even dogs eat crumbs at the table. I know. What is she saying? She's saying, even if the God of Israel considers the Gentiles as dogs, he still feeds them. Compared to what he has given them, it may be crumbs, but we have never gone hungry. The rain of God falls upon the righteous and the unjust. He says, you still feed crumbs. That's a mercy. They may get the mercy shower, but you are getting mercy droplets and appealing to your mercy. And Jesus says, I have not seen such faith in Israel. Go. The child is healed. Child is healed. That's, those are the parts of Jesus I like. Meaning, with even the most ordinary person, he never refused to be act like a king. Have mercy. Go. Yet he was the son of man and the son of God. How he balanced it both. 
And he was not acting. He was living. 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 And you need to realize that is what we are spiritually. Sons and daughters of God. Son of man, son of God. Son of Mr. James, son of Jesus Christ. So how do I act like a son of God? What is the greatest act of a king when he extends mercy? That's the greatest. How do you act like a king even though you're ordinary? Keep extending mercy, 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 mercy. He says, you're living like a king, acting like a king. The sons of God extend mercy. Mercy. You want to be really royal? Extend mercy. Mercy, 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 mercy. That's royalty. You don't have to say, I am a king, I'm extending mercy. You don't have to say that. But you live that, extending mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you this evening. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. The reason we are here, it's because of your mercy. You extended your mercy and your grace towards us. Because we are your children. And we just want to thank you, Father. And those all who are hearing today, even now hearing, I prayed, Lord, you would touch their hearts. Even if the wickedest man on earth is hearing, let him know. If he repents and calls upon your name, you will extend the hand of mercy. He may not, ex- may not escape the judgment of this world, of this life. Because what he has reaped, sowed he may reap. But he will escape the judgment in the next one. I pray, Lord, they will cry out. They will cry out. They will cry out, Lord. Because you are a merciful God. Absolutely merciful God. On this side of heaven, there is always time for mercy. Other side, it is justice. You are not seated on the throne room of grace. You are seated on the great white throne. And heaven and earth will flee from your presence, from the glory of your face, the righteousness of that judge. And all great and small will stand before thee. We don't have to fear that day. We don't have to fear your judgment at all. If you make peace with you now. Your word says everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. And we are justified by faith. Imputed with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we can have peace with God now. Today. I pray Lord, somebody will make peace with you today. Somebody. Law doesn't bring peace. World doesn't bring peace. Christ and Christ alone can bring peace with God. So we are not ashamed of the gospel Lord. Even in the midst of this calamity and all, we are asking for salvation. When we cry out, Lord, have mercy upon this world, we are praying, Lord, touch their lives. That somebody, anybody, everybody before they die because of this virus would cry out and call upon the name of Jesus. That's the cry of mercy. Because anyway, everyone will die one day. One virus or other. Or an accident. Or murder. Everyone has to die. If you tarry to come. 
So death is not the important thing. It's how you die. And I pray, Lord, as you were long-suffering during the time of Noah, you haven't changed. You are the same. Extend your hand of mercy over this world. Touch their hearts. People are all quarantined. One thing alone has not been cut. The internet and the TV. Divinely ordained that people will just tune in to some genuine message. Some genuine channel on the internet. Not some sloppy, fake one. But real one which will bring people to conviction and to Christ. Divinely gather. Guide the crying hearts that they may be saved. That they will truly, truly experience mercy in the midst of death. They'll experience mercy. That in the midst of darkness, they will experience light. That's my prayer, Lord. Thank you. Once again, I pray for all your children that are joined to us as a church around the world. I plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over every one of them. Young and old and children. Every one of them. Everywhere, our churches. Because you haven't given me authority or power over the rest. Over our churches, I plead the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus. Let this virus pass over every house and every household. It will not touch your people. Let them stay under the blood, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you. And as children... Sanctified by the blood of Jesus, by the word of God, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Once again, in your sanctuary, we lift up holy hands. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we proclaim, our Father, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship and the whole fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.